Good morning, everyone. In case you were wondering, uh, yes, I'm of the Tupperware generation. So this doesn't really bother me. I hope it doesn't bother you. And uh, I don't know, it was in the back. It's cheap and it holds water. That's what counts, right? Just want to welcome you if it's your first week here, if you're a guest, if you've just been here a couple of weeks. We uh, are glad that you're here. We want to definitely uh, welcome uh, Sharon and Ruslan and, and Ramon and Rebecca and your families. We are excited to be uh, uh and we've always been excited to support you guys and all of our missionaries. You can kind of look and see if you're new here, like that whole back wall, those pictures. Those are the people that we support, and both of these families are up there, of course. And, and uh, we love and care for you guys, and we definitely support what you guys are doing, and we love to hear from you. And uh, we will be hearing more of them, actually, uh, because here on February 12th and 19th, Ramon is going to come and preach for a couple weeks, uh, because we are out of here. And uh, Tammy and I are going to get a little break in February and uh, get down, get some sunshine, some vitamin D, and um, try not to come bang back banged up like everybody else that comes back from vacation. I don't know, maybe a little inside baseball there, but uh, uh, friends of ours that have come back from vacation uh, come back t- with uh, cut toes and all kinds of issues, and I don't know, it's a thing. Why did I even talk about that? I have no idea. We'll try to come back to you guys safe. How's that? Good enough? Hey, man, I won't be up here on crutches. I don't want to be up here on crutches. Although I did see there's a, a I don't know why I'm thinking about these things. My mind is like all over. The, I did see there's like a wheelchair in the, in the entryway, and I had wondered if that was for me. It's like, is this some like, you know, subliminal message that, uh, hey, dude, you're getting old. We have to have this on standby for you. I don't know. All right, enough rambling. We're glad that you're here. You didn't come here to hear me ramble. If you wanted to hear me ramble, you could just come out to the shop any day of the week. And so we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark and uh, made it into chapter 6. And uh, in chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, we covered that a couple weeks ago. We saw where Jesus had sent out his 12 disciples out into the surrounding villages to preach a message of repentance, to preach exactly what he had been preaching, to preach exactly a message that John the Baptist had been preaching as well. And if you know kind of the history of the calling of the disciples of Christ, several of those were disciples of John the Baptist, so there was a lot of connection and, and um, <clears throat> definitely a lot of Uh, movement there between the two ministries in a positive and in parallel direction. And Jesus had sent out these 12 disciples to preach, not just to preach, uh, but it says there in 7 through 13, to cast out demons, to anoint the sick with oil, and to heal them. Then last week we looked at verses 14 through 29, which is really a, a situation where Uh, It's almost as if to say, and this is just kind of my take on it, while those disciples were out preaching in these villages, Mark kind of backfills uh, what had happened to John the Baptist. And so it's kind of almost like this. he's inserted this interlude uh, into the storyline to update the readers, the realities of 
of what was going on and what had happened to John the Baptist and Herod, and you can go back and listen to those sermons online if you'd like to. But now here in verse 30 of chapter 6, Mark picks up the timeline, and that timeline, it's important for us to realize that timeline is connected not to verse 29 so much as an insert, but back to verse 13, as uh, it says here in Mark 6.30, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So that's kind of that connection point. Let's read the whole passage for today. Verse 31 says, And he said to them, speaking of Christ, And he said to them, Come alongside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. And for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. And they arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he, saw, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd, so he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and Give them something to eat. But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, <clears throat> they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass, so that they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when we had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. We'll stop there for today. There's three uh, kind of concepts in this passage that I want us to focus on. And, and no doubt, if you're a Sunday school uh, graduate like I am, you know, you, you've seen this, you've heard this story, you've, uh, you know, the focus was on, um, wow, how did they feed so many people with so little food and the miracle that Jesus did? And for sure it's a miracle. I don't want to take away from that, and we'll get to that as we go. But there's three concepts that kind of lead up to that. These three concepts are concern, compassion, and conflict. Let's start really back in verse 31. And he said to them, come along by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Uh, in a couple weeks, that'll be our, the, our theme verse as a couple, right? Uh, we're going to go take a little break. It's good to take a break, isn't it? It's good to take a break. Hey, I'll tell you, I'm as, I'm as much of a workaholic probably as anybody in the room. So for me, to get away means like, uh, it's, it's, it's hard. It's tough. My mind is over here, and, and Tammy will tell you, if you can just get Mark across the county line, then it'll all be good. It'll be fine. But, but somehow for me, there's this like really thick barrier right down by Clayton that I don't really want to go past. 
Now that being said, Tuesday, me and some friends went, um, we did this big loop. We went to Moscow, uh, outside of Moscow, Idaho, Troy, Idaho, actually, and then over to Walla Walla and back up uh, through Ritzville, this big long loop. But we had a farm and purpose, actually. So it, that's, where the, that's when the, the, this invisible barrier opens wide up for me. If I have like a farming purpose to go past Clayton, I'm good to go. Jesus is concerned for his disciples. That first word is concern, that first concept. There's concern there. And what he knows, and really what we all know, is, is that we need to take a break. There's a, there's a time and a place. In fact, God created it in, in, in uh, the creation order that there's a, a regular opportunity to take a break. A regular opportunity to take a break. Now, these guys had been really beaten, not pavement, they'd really been beaten the dusty roads in ministry. They had been going hard not just when, when he had sent them out, but even before that, if you look back in previous chapters, Jesus, had, they were just going boom, 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 and back and forth across the Sea of Galilee, and, and ministry, ministry, ministry. Now it comes to this point, and Jesus knew that they needed to rest. They needed a break. They're hot. They're tired. They're hungry. And they needed to really get away and recharge their batteries. And Jesus is creating that opportunity for them in this moment. He realizes their state. He realizes their energy level. He realizes that, that it is good and it's consistent with how God created them and how He's created all of us to get some sort of a break. But, verse 33 says, But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew Him, and ran there on foot from the, all the cities. And they arrived before them and came together to him. There's a lot in verse 33 that if you stop and think about this kind of from a logistic standpoint, is that they had set out in a boat to try to get to a remote place. Yet they couldn't have been so far out in the Sea of Galilee that people didn't realize where they were going. So they had to be kind of visible, if you will, from land. So then the word starts to spread. Here's more of the logistics. The word starts to spread. Hey, this guy that healed so-and-so, this guy that's preaching a different message than anything that we ever hear uh, normally, other than John the Baptist, this guy that's done this, that, and the other thing, his group, or his disciples, this guy that we just talked to his disciples, they just ministered to us. All of those types of things are going on kind of in the background. And so the people say, hey, we, we got to go. We, we have to see what's going on here. And so they arrived afoot. And then it says there at the end of verse 33, they came together to him. They gathered around him as Jesus. <laughs> Imagine what it was like to be in the boat as you're starting to come ashore to see all these people. And here's the thing, people who have real needs... People who have real needs will often beat you to the break room. People that really have a, an issue that they need resolved in their life, or they, they have people who have real needs, they will hunt you down as believers in a good way. I say that in a good way. They want to know. They want to have the conversation. They have real, tangible issues and needs. 
And so they're going to find you, and that's exactly what happened here. The people had such a thirst for Jesus. It says that they knew him, so they knew what he was saying. They, they knew what he had done. There was a witness to his ministry. They knew what he had preached, the miracles, the, the demons that had been cast out, the healings, all of that. Jesus stood out in such a contrast to all of the other Jewish rabbis of the day that they just simply couldn't get enough. So they hustled out to this remote place, and they arrived before the Lord. And verse 34 then says, And Jesus, when he had came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. He was moved with compassion because they were like sheep not having a shepherd, so he began to teach them many things. What, uh, it's interesting, you would think, you would think that if you were taking your group of people, if, if you were a leader, if, if you own a small business, whatever, it's time to get a retreat, or, or if you're a ministry leader, you're going to be a little guarded. Wouldn't you be a little guarded for your people that are really wore out? I would be. But that's not the storyline of Christ. That wasn't Jesus' reply. He didn't turn anybody away. He didn't lock the door and say, hey, come back next week. That wasn't it at all. Rather, it says he had compassion. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, the parallel passage to this says the thing, same thing, that Jesus had compassion on the people. The Greek word there for compassion really is, is, it, uh, really is more of a gut level like he could feel it in his gut. He, he, he knew he had compassion in his bones for these people. That's how stirred he was internally. It's a gut level feeling towards someone. And Jesus moved there in his innermost being a, a gut level feeling of compassion. And we could say, why was Jesus so compassionate? We know he had concern for his disciples. But why did he show so much compassion on the people? Was it because of their physical needs? Was it because of uh, the things that, that so many people he had healed from? Was it that kind of a thing? Was it because of the, maybe the demonic oppression or possession that was so prevalent in that first century? Was it that? Was it the physical ailments? Was it that? Mark really tells us why. Mark tells us why he had so much compassion. They had no one leading them to the truth. That's why. It wasn't that Jesus ignored their felt needs. It wasn't that Jesus ignored their physical needs uh, and their struggles. It wasn't, it, it wasn't that he ignored them. But the main focus of Jesus' compassion, it says right there in the verse, verse 7, <clears throat> in Mark 6, it said that they were shepherdless, essentially. No one was leading them to the truth. It's really a fitting description and really a parallel concern that goes back to Numbers chapter 27 where Moses in the latter stages of his life was curious about who would take his place in leadership over Israel. And he says there in Numbers 27 verses 15, he says, Then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in. And here's the warning that he's concerned about. 
that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep who have no shepherd. Moses is seeking God because he doesn't want to see the people stray. He's seen the people stray. So he knows how bad it can get. He's seen them run off the rails while he's up on the mountain. So he's concerned for his people. The great news is, is that God is the good shepherd. Isaiah 40, 11 is a reference to God being the good shepherd who feeds his flock. And of course, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Here in Mark 6, Jesus is moved by compassion because the people are shepherdless. And his perfect solution in it all is to just continue to sit them down and just to continue to teach them. Continue to, to open up the word to them. To bring them the kingdom news, the good news. And a great need that we all have is the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. Jesus, Jesus really addressed their greatest need first. He gave them the word. Jesus' observation here that the people were starving was consistent really with an Old Testament prophecy out of the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel says, it says the first few verses, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus say the Lord God, the, sh- <clears throat> the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back uh, what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So then they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. No one was seeking or searching for them. Ezekiel just absolutely breathes fire on the Jewish leadership of that day and says, this is what's been going on. You haven't been doing your job. Yet Jesus comes in now here in Mark 6 the good shepherd that he pronounces in John 10, out of a heart of compassion, he does exactly, we've seen this all through the first six chapters of the book of Mark, Jesus does exactly the things that Ezekiel was scorching these guys for. Jesus reverses it all. It's a great storyline of the Bible in and of itself. Jesus, Jesus in the first, we've seen it so far in six chapters, he strengthens the weak, he heals the sick, he binds up the broken, He brings back the lost, he leads them gently, and he keeps his people together. What a beautiful uh, backside to the storyline of what Ezekiel at one point is, is so fired up about because the leadership in Israel is off the rails. Now Jesus comes in to set everything right. This might be a good place to just end with the compassion part. Uh, But I want to get to the confrontation. And the confrontation to me is intriguing. The conflict that, that kind of uh, begins there, it begins actually at the end of the day. 
the conflict, and there's a little back and forth, and a lot of it's in how we probably read it in the English, perhaps. I don't know. But the conflict, conflict here starts in verse 35. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour's late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves some bread, for they have nothing to eat. Notice all the elements of the conflict here. It's, it's at the end of the day. These guys are tired. These guys are wiped out. Uh, uh, everyone was really tired. And everyone perhaps expected some rest. Like, wasn't that what Jesus said we were going to do? He said we were going to go to get a break because he saw how depleted we were. Uh, where's the break? Where's the break? Of course, it's in a remote location. Uh, I shared last week about uh, the, um, the old line that my dad used to say whenever we were on a trip, you know, and I would want to stop. It's like, hey, Dad, can, can we please, I mean, we're like on the road for hours. Can we just stop, you know, can we stop at McDonald's? I need a cheeseburger. There's not too many teenage boys that won't, you know, lobby for a, tea, for a cheeseburger. Maybe, maybe, well, in my case, definitely more than one, Right? And my dad's reply, of course, I shared this last week, so I'm kind of doubling up on my stories, but my dad's reply was always, what about our ancestors that came from Kansas in a covered wagon? It's like, that's their problem. Like, I can't help that they were born in the wrong century. What's that to me? I kind of had this sarcastic attitude that these guys right here had towards Jesus. What about a break? You know, where's our break? Where's our opportunity to rest? And now here, everybody's gathered to you, Lord. Everybody's gathered up here, and they don't have nothing to eat. So not only are we hungry, but they're hungry too. This is a real disaster. We need some humanitarian aid flown in. Dropped out of a helicopter would really be nice. There was too many people. Everybody's hungry. And it starts into this back and forth. It's really, in a way, a flashback, if you will, to Numbers chapter 11 in the Old Testament where Moses is seeking God because of the people were complaining about not having any meat. No meat. We got no meat. God's taking care of their needs. He's got all under control. Still no meat. The disciples' response, though, is what do you expect us to do? What do you expect us to do? We don't have any food. They didn't really expect Jesus to say by any stretch what he told them in reply. You go feed them. You go feed them. We don't have any food. No, you're going to feed them. At that, their sarcasm got the better of them there in verse 37. And he said to them, <clears throat> and they said to him, excuse me, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? In other words, are, are, are we to go, and we don't even have that kind of money, but are we to go and spend a year's worth of wages that we don't have so that everybody here can have just one meal? Like, is that prudent? Is that, is that wise? Is that, is that what we're after? What, what is going on? I can't fathom being in their shoes. As if to say, Jesus, this is an impossible situation. We don't have those kinds of resources 
See, what's interesting here is, is that Jesus and the disciples, uh, they had something in common in this particular moment in this story. They saw all of the same things in front of them. Jesus saw the crowd. Uh, he wasn't blind to, to what the scenario was. They saw all the same need, but in reality they had different solutions. The disciples' solution was to send them home. Jesus' solution was, hey, you're going to feed them. So here's the point. Jesus looks past their sarcasm and stays focused on the solution. He looks past their sarcasm, and I will say this, just insert it into my notes on the fly. Parents, sometimes it's good to look past your kid's sarcasm. Not always, because let's be honest, young people in the room, sometimes your sarcasm needs to be addressed, more times probably rather than not. But there is an appropriate time, perhaps, to look past the sarcasm into the greater, for the greater good. How many times have we really, as adults, been in that same spot in life? It, by the way, I'll just say this. It's just not the kids that are sarcastic. Can I say it's, don't listen to my mom laugh over here, everybody. Just ignore her. She's a little crazy. But I think, I think in a way, I have the gift of sarcasm. Tiffany's giving me a thumbs up. She agrees. She's been downhill of it how many times have we been in that same spot because the sarcasm really at the bottom of the sarcasm is the doubt that's really what's driving it all looking at an uh, impossible problem and sarcastic towards God while Jesus is wanting us to operate in faith with what we have right in front of us God's provision really begins with what we already have. And I'm here to tell you that's a hard lesson to learn. I'll say it again. God's provision often begins right with what we already have in front of us. And, and, and I will stand here probably more guilty than most because oftentimes I think the solution is, is something else. I need something else. And youth have those same tendencies. It's, uh, the, the real solution to happiness is I need to add more. There needs to be something out there that I don't have. And God wants to work right here with what you do have. That flawed thinking is really devastating in so many ways. Because I'm not just talking about our provision of food. But what about the provision of relationships? What about the provision of, 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 uh, in the workplace? What about the, the provision? Uh, you, you can spread this across every area of our Christian walk. Oftentimes we think that we have to go and grab something outside and import it in because that'll make us happy. God starts really with what we already have. It's a hard lesson to learn, but that's really if you go further through the New Testament. That's why Paul could be so thankful in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He could be thankful he could, he, because he saw what God was doing through his own pain. How God was showing himself strong in Paul's weakness. If you know 2 Corinthians 12, there's an insertion there because Paul had some physical uh, infirmity 
that just didn't go away. No matter how much he prayed for it, no matter how much he sought the Lord, it didn't go away. We don't know what it is. There's a lot of speculation. Sometimes some of his letters, he would say, I wrote with such big handwriting, so some people think it's his eyesight has gone sideways. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. So let's not speculate. But what we do know for sure is God showed him strong through Paul's weakness. And the thorn in the flesh remained and it remained, and then Paul comes out of that, because that's where he says in verse 12, for, for when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. That's the beauty of it all. Paul come to the realization there in 2 Corinthians, because when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. When I'm weak, that's where God shows up the greatest. It's not through whatever efforts I can muster. It's not through whatever events that I can put forward. Not all of that. It's through weakness God shows himself strong. Paul gets locked and he understands it. And then he gets comfortable with that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. It's a consistent theme, really, from Genesis to Revelation. Where there seems to be no answer, that's where God's provision starts to show up. When all possibilities are exhausted, that's when we're ready for God's intervention. And that's exactly what Jesus is teaching his disciples here in Mark chapter 6. We're down to nothing. We're, we're, we're bottomed out here. We have this massive group of people, 5,000 men. They estimate maybe 15,000 people total. We're just counting the guys. We're, we're in a dilemma. How, how do you feed, you know, how, how do you feed... Half of Stevens County, or a little less, 40% of Stevens County in one sitting. How's that possible? But when it's impossible, that's when God shows up. When all possibilities are exhausted, then we're ready for God's intervention. Here's how it looked. And I love this quote by Alistair Begg, a preacher on Moody Radio. I, I I had to write it down, and I so wish that I could roll my R's like he does with that Scottish accent. But Alistair Begg says this. This is how he framed up the scenario. It's a ludicrously inadequate supply in the hands of a reluctant distribution team. That's how he framed this whole picture in Mark chapter 6. A ludicrously inadequate supply, five loaves and two fish for 15,000 people, a ludicrously inadequate supply in the hands of a reluctant distribution team. That's how it looked, but here's how it worked. Verse 38, Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? They reply, five and two fish. Verse 39, then he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. I hope that you see in that last phrase I have highlighted in my notes this little phrase, on the green grass. It's so important to understand what's going on here. I hope you see what I see, that, that in, that being the, in Jesus being the good shepherd, Psalm 23 just rises up. And it should rise up in our minds that, that he's the good shepherd and he's leading his people to what? Green pastures. Yeah, of course. That's what the good shepherd does. And the good shepherd always has a great plan. It's the strategy of God to bring us to the end of our resources, you might say, <clears throat> that we and others watching will know that God is at work and then marvel over it. 
It's really God's strategy in so many ways. And you might be, you might be one sitting here saying, hey, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm bottomed out. But you might be in another chair. You might be somebody else here saying, I don't want to bottom out. Hey, I'll tell you what. If you're going to learn the lessons of the Lord, and we, and we learn it in a variety of different ways for sure, we'll all come to a point where God brings us to the end of our own resources in whatever situation so that we'll know that what God is doing and that we can praise and we can worship Him. And others around us will see that. They'll see that testimony. And so here's how it works. Jesus starts by breaking down, <clears throat> breaking the bread and blessing, putting a blessing over it. It's not a uh, bless this food to our bodies so much as it's a raising His eyes and His head to the Father and saying thank you. Thank you for what you've provided. Thank you for, for providing five loaves and two fish. He didn't get hung up on the numbers, neither of the provision, nor of the people. He just starts by being grateful. Blessing the Father, the giver of all. And then Jesus' plan was, had these four components. It was organized. It was extravagant. It was simple, and it was abundant. It was organized in that Jesus had the disciples sit them all down in manageable groups. It was extravagant in that thousands of people ate till they were full. Nobody walked away hungry. Nobody had just enough calories, just enough protein to get by. They ate till they were full, the word says. It was simple in that it was just bread and fish. It was simple in, in that it was just bread and fish. I mean, in my mind, I'm a meat guy. So in my mind, if Jesus is going to do some sort of a miracle, I'm thinking, you know, baked potato, ribeye. I mean, who's with me? And also, while I'm thinking about it, who's also kind of running through their minds that why is he preaching on this on a potluck Sunday? Is this a coordinated effort? It was not a coordinated effort. It just happened that way. But if Jesus is going to do some sort of a major miracle here, that's not how he operates. God's plan oftentimes is just simple. Jesus promises to meet our needs, not necessarily our wants and the provision. Then the fourth thing is, is it's abundant. It's abundant. God's plan is abundant here in that there was one full basket of food left over for each disciple. Twelve full baskets of bits and pieces of bread and fish. And the abundant blessings of God's provision really was on full display in that moment, on that evening. God's abundant provision for His people was on full display. I would encourage all of us, take a little time this week. Take a little moment uh, at the end of your devotions and, and write down a few things this week in, uh, on a scrap of paper or in the margin of your Bible where you're reading. And just talk about and thank God for the provision that He's given you. His abundant provision. Things that you never thought were even possible that God makes possible. His abundant blessings were on full display. But I'll say this as well, they weren't to be wasted. They, weren't, they didn't throw the extra food away. It was put to good use. Now here's an irony of the whole story. Here's the part that I 
looked and searched for and couldn't find, but I find particularly intriguing, is, is that we have no indication that the crowd knew there was even a miracle taking place. <laughs> Isn't that crazy to think about? You would think that somebody was paying attention. You would think that somebody saw, or some, the disciples knew, uh, the young guy that had the, the bread and the fish, perhaps he knew. But we have no indication anywhere that everybody knew in that moment. That by the time that things were getting passed out and it got to the back row and, and over here and that group of 50 and that group of 100, people just thought, oh, man, where would all the fish and bread come? Oh, he, he blessed it. Hey, let's eat. We're hungry. Everybody's hungry. You don't talk too much when you're hungry. But we have no indication, but the disciples knew. They knew what, what they had, and they knew what they had said beforehand. They knew this whole thing started with just five loaves and two fish. And then it ends up, they end up walking away with a full basket, each of them. So they knew that God had done something special here. They knew that God was at work here. They knew that God had provided for them. And I'm going to tell you this, brothers and sisters, they're going to need that experience and knowledge going forward for the rest of their days. Because all but one of these guys set Judas aside. All but one of these guys gave their life for Christ. John's the only one that didn't die a martyr. They would need to know in coming days, years, months, what have you, that God was going to provide for them and meet every need. They had experienced firsthand a need that was beyond their ability to provide for, yet God was really providing all along. God was really providing all along. Who would have thought, who would have thought that evening that the one that was breaking the bread and giving thanks would one day proclaim that he was the bread, the bread of life, John 6.35. Who would have thought that as the sun was setting down there on the Sea of Galilee, who would have thought that the one breaking the bread would be the one whose body then would be that bread that was broken? To provide for us both forgiveness of sin and a renewed relationship with God. Who would have thought that evening? Nobody was thinking about that. Everybody was thinking just that they needed to consume. They needed dinner. But Jesus in his glorious ways, in his master plan that's beyond all comprehension, was starting to already signal, these things are going to happen to me. But yet, hey, God's going to provide and he provides through the broken bread. And he provided through the broken bread of the body of Christ. So that you and I, and really anybody that would trust in Christ, anybody who would believe, could enjoy the forgiveness of sin, a new identity in Christ, that we could, en that we could enjoy a renewed fellowship with God, the Father, the Creator, that was lost in the garden, now restored and renewed in Christ. Who would have thought? Nobody was thinking that. Jesus was thinking that. See, it's not about the bread and the fish. 
It's not about the provision that God would give to you and I that we could just consume and move on with our life. Really, it's about a loving Savior who provides far beyond our wildest imagination, who provides for us what we could never provide for ourselves. It could be you and I, brothers and sisters, sitting in that crowd on that little green pasture as the sun went down on the Sea of Galilee, sitting there and enjoying a meal that we didn't provide for ourselves, but Jesus provides for us. And the same concepts are true and more true about our relationship with Him. The same concepts are true about God providing Him as a sacrificial lamb on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could be free from the one thing that we can't get free of, and that's sin. We can't get free of it on our own, no way. Not even possible. Yet Jesus frees us from that, gives us a new identity. Sinner to saint is the switch. He's the guy that provides for us what we could never provide for ourselves. If the worship team will come on up, we'll close with the, our last song. We'll continue to be moving through the gospel of Mark this next week. I haven't really talked to Ramon. I guess we'll talk about it at lunch while we're eating bread and fish, what you're going to be preaching on. But I really encourage you guys in the coming weeks, and next week will be our last week for a couple weeks, and then, then we'll be back at the end of February, but uh, to uh, stay in the Word, stay in, read through, double-check, hey, I didn't really understand what he was saying about this, ask questions, reach out, grab an elder, grab a deacon, have conversations, come talk to me. But if I can leave you with anything, I'll leave you with the last line of my notes. It's Jesus who provides for us what we could never provide for ourselves. Let's stand and worship together.